Hello, everyone, and welcome to Let's Talk Parks. My name is Becky Dunlap. And this is Marissa Moravik, and we're your hosts for this weekly podcast. An evolving resource to help parks and recreation professionals raise the bar in their organizations so that they can make a positive difference in their communities. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Let's Talk Parks. My name is Becky Dunlap, and this episode is our second of a series all about inclusive and innovative parks. I can't wait to tell you more about this episode. I just want to say hi, and does my voice sound normal? You guys, I think this is the first episode in like four or five recordings where I sound normal. I'm not congested anymore. It's still living in the back of my head. Um, but I just, I feel so much better. So I'm like really glad. Hopefully the seasonal illnesses are behind us and we can move on and enjoy our holidays being well. But anyways, thank you guys for hanging in there and listening to my nasally voice for the last couple of weeks. Um, this episode is with Nate Bebot of the Dunes Learning Center, and I loved talking to Nate. He is one of those people that tunes into the show all the time and was just like, I was so grateful to talk with him and to learn from him and to hear his experiences in the field. I like that he started his like when he went to school he thought that he was gonna have um, go through like chemistry and biology and was on his way to a very different career path than parks and recreation but eventually found his way here and it was really cool to hear how he ended up in a job at a park that was really close to the place that he actually grew up and it's funny how sometimes those things are literally right in our backyard and we don't realize it until many years later. So today, Nate and I talk about how to, or how he was able to create virtual programs during the height of the pandemic, what tools he used, um, you know, everything from creating videos and a podcast and virtual tours on Google Earth, setting up a Google site. Um, He walks us through some examples of some of those things. And I just loved being able to see what he actually created with him and his team. It was so creative, so innovative. And I know a lot of you guys did amazing things during the pandemic. Um, I also know you guys shared a lot of other resources from other agencies. And this is a great one to share and to check out yourself because it really, I think it, it sets the stage for not only, you know, future virtual programs, but also for hybrid experiences. And we talk about that as well, about how these virtual experiences are really served as a foundation to some of the more advanced hybrid experiences that we'll have in the future, where participants will be able to join, like do a pre-visit before they actually travel on site And they'll be able to see the lay of the land. They'll be able to learn more about it. They'll be able to to know what to expect before they visit. And I think that that in itself is really valuable. And it allows you to make the most out of your time. So I really hope that you enjoy this episode. This is another one that is available on YouTube as well. So I will leave the YouTube video in the show notes if you'd like to check that out if you're at your computer. But before we get started, I want to thank Landscape Structures for sponsoring another episode of this series. Landscape Structures manufactures industry-leading commercial playground equipment for parks, schools, churches, and more. We know that if you're listening to this podcast, you are a professional that is always seeking out the latest ideas, resources, and innovations. So if that's you, be sure to check out playlsi.com. All right, let's get into the episode. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Let's Talk Parks. My name is Becky Dunlap, and I'm excited to be joined by Nate Bebot. And he is joining us from the Dunes Learning Center, and he is a senior naturalist. And I'm really excited because today we are talking about how to, or how you may have um, 
in your agency pivoted into these virtual programs. And we're going to show you a really cool example of how Nate has had, had been able to completely transform his program and is now moving that into a hybrid experience and how he's been able to make that really accessible and inclusive for more people to experience. So Nate, thank you for coming on the show. Becky, thank you so much for having here. Um, it's an absolute honor. I've been a fan and been inspired by all the people that have been um, on your platform, uh, expressing and sharing their stories and voices. And to be honest, I'm, I'm kind of geeking out a bit <laughs> because I, it's just, it's, I've always, you know, when listening to your podcast, you know, I would think, man, it'd be really cool to have an opportunity to do something like this. And um, here, here I am. So thank you for making a dream come true and to be on here. Well, thank you so much for saying that. And you are the exact type of person that every week I am inspired to show up for. And so thank you for being here. And thank you for sharing your wisdom with us and your experiences with us. Um, I think people will not only be inspired from us, but also I think it's fun to do the video version of this. So if you're listening to the audio, go check out the YouTube version of this because you can actually see the program um, and the website that, that Nate and his team have worked on. So I'm really excited to dive into this. But first, let's just go over, you know, your story a little bit, how you got into the field of parks and recreation. And how did you know that this interesting field of parks and rec was the right career move for you? Yeah, definitely. So to start off, I've been in the field of parks and recreation for about six years now focusing in the area of youth leadership, recreation, programming, and, and education, and now uh, specifically more environmental education. So like many parks and recreation professionals, uh, I was introduced to the field uh, starting off working at camps. I had the amazing opportunity of working for an outdoor adventure camp in Colorado, um, and it was my first ever camp experience in general and, and just fell in love with that and knew that I wanted to pursue a career in whatever that was. Um, all I knew is that it was getting people outside, having authentic adventures and outdoors and having fun. Um, so prior to that season, I was a freshman in college, um, struggling figuring out what I wanted to study. Uh, I've been a lover and the advocate of the outdoors my whole life. Um, I was introduced to the outdoors, hiking at the Indiana Dunes, um, falling in love with the pristine land um, that I'm happy to be at right now. But I started off, you know, majoring in environmental science, uh, learned that I wasn't the best with the math and science heavy subjects. So I kind of jumped back and forth from one major to the next. I found myself transferring to another school, um, studying biology and not really taking the time to do the research and what was involved in the curriculum. So it finally came to a point um, dreading to go to school or you know, spending four hour long uh, labs, genetic labs that I decided you know, this is not for me. Um, and I had so much support from my friends and family, especially my, my awesome parents that you know, sat me down and said, hey, maybe you should really take the time to reevaluate re what you want to do. So I ended up taking a semester off um, and really asking those, those tough questions um, and some yet, somewhat yet simple questions of what do you like to do? What about working at camp um, draws you to pursuing this field? And um, when I did the research, you know, the very first time that term parks and recreation came up and I actually figured out that uh, the school that I was uh, originally at, Indiana State, had an amazing parks and recreation program. And when I actually did the time to research and what jobs were applicable to that curriculum, you know, I saw camps and I was like, this, I think this is a great first step. So my first park and recreation class was with Kara Kish, who um, was also featured on your podcast. Um, so lucky to call her a mentor and a friend. Um, and she was my first uh, 
teacher in my first lecture for the Parks and Rec class. And, you know, she did an amazing job the first class to explain what this field is, how big it is, um, how many different avenues and uh, jobs encompass this field. And I immediately knew that day that, you know, I, I chose the right major um, and to return back to Indiana State. Um, and since then, I've had uh, the opportunity to continue learning about the field of parks and recreation. Um, I returned back to that same camp a few more seasons, had the opportunity to work my way up uh, from a counselor to uh, aquatic supervisor. I had the awesome opportunity to work as a program manager. I've been also able to, during, my, uh, during the school years, work for other organizations like the Boy Scouts of America and the YMCA and their youth programming, uh, which just was an amazing experience in addition to uh, my undergrad with an awesome group of teachers and mentors, um, which landed me in my current position right now as a senior naturalist at the Dunes Learning Center. Awesome. Well, I love hearing your I love hearing your story. I'm hearing echo again. Oh. It was just on my end. I can edit it out. Okay. Well, I love hearing your story. I love hearing about how you you thought you were going to go one route, but sometimes it's not until you actually get into it that you realize maybe I don't like this after all. And it can be painful to take a step back and realize maybe that's not the right direction for me. But I think as long as you keep going and experimenting, then you you find the right path for you and you can always turn around. Right. Yeah, you're you're absolutely right. And there was a point when uh, I used to reflect on that that journey and that experience. And I, I used to be very critical and hard on myself and like, why did I do this? Why didn't I take the time to do more research? Why did I decide to do this job or that job? And um, when I being here right now, I truly wouldn't have it any other way. And, you know, when I further further thinking about it, uh, Sometimes to figure out what you really want to do or what you're passionate about, you have to learn what you don't like and what you're not passionate about. Um, so it's just all part of the journey. And uh, something that really stuck with me is that, you know, I wasn't alone in that process um, and that there's many other people that, you know, have that same journey and, you know, do a lot of discovery of what they don't like to figure out what they do. Absolutely. And plus with the field of parks and recreation, it can be so expansive. There's so many different things to do to really wrap your head around. Like, wow, what can I do on a day-to-day -day basis? Um, I think a lot of times it can be overwhelming to think about the decision-making process of what, you know, what am I going to do? So let's actually start with that. What, on a daily basis, what do you do as a senior naturalist so that others can learn from your experience? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. And I think um, the best way to the explain that is to give a little more context on um, the organization I work for, for Dean's Learning Center. Uh, we are a nonprofit, a 501c3. Um, we're located in the Indiana Dunes National Park, and we serve as the Indiana Dunes National Park uh, educator. We are the uh, partnering educator, and our mission is to inspire lasting curiosity and stewardship of nature. And we do that by providing year-round education programs, both through outreach, an outreach team, and a residential team, which is what I am a part of, which is made up of naturalists, a chief naturalist, and a, a, a residential manager. And we have 10 cabins and a lodge where students and classes will come to us, and we will run programs. So we have a summer camp. Um, we are currently finishing up our fall programming, uh, which is more environmental education based. We, we teach kids about the ecology of the Indiana Dunes and the, the rich cultural history and how the land has been used throughout time. Um, and we're getting ready for our winter programs, which focus on uh, the winter ecology of the Indiana Dunes. And then we transition back into our spring programs, which are very similar to our fall programs. So on a day-to-day -day basis, it, it definitely varies. Some days I'm out in the field at the, the park. I'm taking kids on hikes, teaching them about organisms, adaptations they need to survive, or um, 
teaching them about the history of the land. Um, other days, um, being a senior naturalist, I serve uh, as a peer mentor for the naturalists. So sometimes I'm getting more of the behind the scenes work. I get to help out with our staff trainings. Um, I get to uh, also have the opportunity to do things like this for, uh, for professional development. Um, so it, it definitely varies um, on a day-to-day -day basis. That's awesome. I, I think the variation is what makes this field so interesting is that you are doing a lot. Like some days can be really um, heavy out in the field or working with the public. And then other days it's like behind the scenes, got to get work done at the computer. So it changes. And I know, you know, during the pandemic, you did a lot behind the computer. You guys adjusted as so many agencies did to the virtual world. And I would love to know your experience with that. I'm sure there was an initial shock, um, but how did you guys adapt? And, um, and then kind of as we get into this conversation, maybe you can tell us about one of the programs that you created that allowed your participants to interact when you weren't able to in person. Yeah, um, yeah, Becky, you're absolutely right. It was definitely a big shock this past year and a half um, has been very different in regards to our operations um, and our programming because, you know, a bulk, if not all of what we do involves being with our students in person out at the Indiana Dunes National Park, um, providing these programs and services. Uh, so with that, you know, uh, and in addition as well, you know, that was a big issue for many other park agencies and organizations and, and um, all the nature centers out there. Uh, so with that in mind, it was truly amazing and inspiring to see our field, um, environmental educators, um, stepping up and, and bridging that gap and to be able to continue providing uh, those education programs and services by adapting a lot of their programs and making them virtual. Um, I was able to witness a lot of brainstorming, a lot, a lot of ways of being creative uh, without being in person. And in addition, you know, collaborating with other educators and organizations and nature centers uh, to see how they are uh, adapting and providing their programs without being in person. And, you know, I'm proud to say that the DLC was one of those organizations that we were able to put on our creative thinking cap and um, figure out how we can reach our, our audiences. So the biggest need um, at that time was programming uh, for our students. And we know that there was a need uh, for these continued programs. Um, there was a park uh, survey, uh, they call it Park Pulse by the NRPA that showed that more than four out of five adults uh, found the virtual resources, uh, the virtual health resources that, that we provided integral, important and crucial. Um, so one of the programs, uh, one of our staple in-person programs uh, frog in the bog um, that the residential team uh, would do in the fall and spring. Um, it's our staple program, the, our most popular program. We were able to create a virtual uh, resource that wasn't e exactly uh, frog in the bog because you, you just can't beat that experience being in person. Um, but we made this virtual program called Frog on the Login, uh, which is really fun to make. Uh, and the education team came together and we made it a three uh, part activity that started off with the first session was the introduction to the Indiana Dunes National Park. And we were able to utilize the, the web tool, Google Earth, and they have a Google Earth tour option where you can create a virtual tour using Google Earth and you can even uh, get, you know, I'll pull it up right now. Um, it is a virtual tour and you can incorporate videos um, that we made on YouTube. And in addition, you can have different perspectives. You can be um, 
in a 2D version where you can just see the map as it is. Uh, but we also, what we utilized a lot for this program specifically was our 3D in-person perspective that made it feel like you were actually at an ecosystem of the Indiana Dunes. So we used the pre-visit as a way to introduce students and teach them about the five unique ecosystems of the Indiana Dunes. And we would create prompts like this in the text box that encouraged them to explore. You can click around, you have a 360 panoramic view of that ecosystem. You can go up and down. And in this example, the open beach, you can go up and down uh, the shoreline of Lake Michigan. And you can continue hiking uh, virtually and exploring each ecosystem and navigate. So this, uh, this example here right now is uh, just a little taste that we actually provide on our website to give teachers a better idea. Uh, so we are able to use this and create these prompts to have kids focus on making those observations. Um, and in addition, uh, they came to, uh, when we were able to continue our, let me re rephrase that, when we were able to start having uh, programs in person and we were able to take them to the beach, the students felt way more comfortable knowing what to sort of expect. Um, they would, you know, do research beforehand, they would see maybe this grass over here and be like, oh, I wonder what grass, what this grass is. They would end up teaching us what this grass is. They would do the research beforehand. Um, and in addition, teachers would supplement and incorporate their own lesson plans uh, through that. So that's just one example of the first session. The second session um, was called Creature Feature, um, which was an interactive virtual adventure hike. Um, and the premise is that students go and hike through the five ecosystems of the Indiana Dunes in search of this little creature right here, who's known as the, uh, the elusive sandamander. And through their hike, they learn about other native organisms of the Indiana Dunes and what adaptations they need to survive. And while they're doing this, they're, they're on the hunt for this creature and they're trying to learn which ecosystem it lives in and what adaptations it might need in order to survive. And this was done, um, the platform that we used was uh, once again, a Google platform, Google Sites. So we would send them the link. It can be self-guided, they can do it on their own, or they can also do it with a naturalist um, via Zoom or Google, uh, Google Chat. And they were able to do this adventure together um, and just, a lot of fun. Uh, you, we've incorporated a lot of different interactive games using a widget maker. And a, the program was called Book Widgets. And these games would help review the lessons and the outcomes, the learning outcomes that uh, the teachers wanted the students to learn. Um, and it, in addition, we incorporate videos, pictures, once again, Google Earth. Um, and then our final uh, part of our frog in the login is a wrap up where the students take what they learned from the first two sessions and they apply it um, on a broader scale and we've been it was a really cool project where we were able to collaborate with uh, Dunes Learning Center alumni who are still active in the field and they're working at ecosystems that are very similar um, to the ecosystems you can find at the Dunes. Um, so the students get to compare and contrast the ecosystems they learn to ecosystems uh, found throughout all over the world. We've had uh, naturalists involved that are from Rocky Mountain National Park, um, from Savannah, uh, Maryland. So that was also a really cool project um, that was not only cool for us, but very helpful for the students to further learn um, about the ecosystems and to get a, uh, a broader scale look at the natural environment of the world. Um, so just a really cool uh, program. So we created these with the uh, intention at first to uh, be a substitute for our in-person programs, but we've been able to, we, we strategically created these programs so they can in a way be supplemented 
into our in-person programs. Uh, a little more further information on it, uh, we were able to get uh, funding from a couple of organizations like the Lilly Endowment uh, Foundation, also the National Park Foundation. So the price of this for all three activities, you know, is, is relatively low for a program like this. And you are able to actually, we, pr uh, we provide these programs for free if you decide to actually come and do our traditional Frog in the Bog program. And, you know, you don't have to use all these uh, sessions altogether. Uh, some teachers only focus on the first section and the introduction, and, and then they come to us um, to take them out. Sometimes teachers only want to focus on the creature feature because they aren't able to come to us in person. Um, but it's really unique because you can take lessons um, and do these sessions individually, or you can do them all together. There's a lot of flexibility and adaptability, um, which we are able to keep in mind as we were creating these, these programs. So I'd love to hear more about how you've kind of prepared to make that transition from the, the virtual only experience into the hybrid experience, because I think it's really interesting to have the teachers like prep their students for what they're going to experience. Because I know for me, if I know what's going to go on ahead of time, I'm better prepared. I can think ahead. I can like, you know, if I'm nervous or something, like I can calm myself down. So I'm sure there's a lot of those benefits. Um, but kind of like what's changed when you move into more of a hybrid experience where some people are, are going to end up in person? I wanted to take a quick moment to thank our sponsor, Landscape Structures. For the last 50 years, Landscape Structures has been reimagining city playgrounds, making them more inclusive, more visionary, and more unique than ever before. When you head over to playlsi.com, you can see the hundreds of designs that have been installed in communities just like yours. You can filter by age range, project size, surf surfacing type, and much more. You can even search playgrounds that promote nature play or inclusive play, and then see the budget range for each particular playground. This type of tool can help you reimagine your space and plan for your community's dream playground. If you've been looking to create the ultimate play experience, jump over to playlsi.com to request a catalog quote and learn more. Now back to the episode. That's a very good question. Um, so I personally think, you know, we won't heavily rely on these, but uh, the thing that students, uh, the thing that I love about working here and when the students leave and the teachers leave is they, they say, man, like, we want more. We, we want to uh, continue learning and experiencing more of this program. You know, they're, they're bummed to leave. So, you know, these, these programs that we created are uh, just like, hey, well, you know, we're bummed that you're leaving, but we also have these additional programs that you can use to continue learning. Um, and to continue having fun with us. You can do the creature feature and we can hop on a Zoom with you, um, visit old uh, familiar faces, and um, which has happened before and being able to hop on a, a Zoom and the, the kiddos remember who you are and like, hey, you know, and it's, it's such a cool experience. Uh, but yeah, they, uh, I guess another example that comes to mind is is our pre-visit. Um, you know, we will continue using them. Our pre-visit will is currently the most popular because uh, we used to uh, before creating these programs, we used to have these things called teacher kits, um, and we would mail a box and it had uh, books and materials about the Indiana Dunes and it's come to the point where we're probably going to shift away from that because now instead 
we can give them this pre-visit activity that only involves sending them a link. Uh, so that's another way of how we'll continue incorporating these, these programs. And, you know, overall, uh, what all to also keep in mind is that we, we just didn't want to put all this time and effort into creating these programs. And then, you know, when we were able to operate, um, at, at a new normal, um, just to say, oh, okay, well, we don't need these programs anymore. We're just going to drop it. Um, so that was definitely one thing that came to mind when creating it is asking that question of how we can continue incorporating these, these virtual programs. And to be quite honest, um, and on a broader scale, a lot of these technological programs and virtual resources and tools that we've incorporated um, and at one time heavily relied on, um, they're not just gonna simply go away. Uh, and that's just because as a society, we constantly find ourselves in a state of technological progression and we see it more um, prevalent now, now in our field, in the parks and rec field too. Uh, since the pandemic, um, we see things sticking like employers, uh, allowing their employees to work from home permanently because it's more efficient, um, it saves money. We see a lot of our seminars and our meetings, um, social events, even conferences um, being hybridized where you can go in person if you want. Um, and if you don't want to, you can attend from the comfort of your home. Uh, and one of the biggest trends now, uh, specifically in parks and recreation is uh, Esports and e-gaming, that's becoming huge. Uh, so we're not going to be seeing, at least in my opinion, any of these um, virtual resources or programs going away, um, even when we are able to operate at a full capacity in person. Um, they're they're going to be integrated. And really, truly, uh, the integration of these resources are really enhancing our programs, in my opinion. Yeah, I think you are absolutely right, Nate. I think everything you just said around like digital transformation, it's here to stay. I think a lot of our virtual programs that may, they may not be utilized as much as they were at the height of the pandemic, but they are laying the foundation for all of the other cool things that might come about in the future, like, you know, virtual reality. Um, but we, I don't think we would have ever done that if we didn't have the kick in the butt to be like, our community needs virtual programs. And unfortunately it had to be something like this to make us do that. Um, but I think now that we have that foundation, it's more like, you know, um, adjusting it here and there so that it, it does become like a true hybrid experience. And I think kind of the pre-visit um, option that you have is awesome. Um, I think the videos and like the different widgets and games and things that you came up with are awesome. Um, do you have any examples of those specific things that you could kind of walk us around? Yeah, yeah, sure. Uh, so in addition to the virtual program Frog on the Login, um, at the very beginning of the pandemic, we came together and we created what's called the Distance Learning Collection. So the distance learning collection is a series of virtual education activities that the residential education team came up with. Um, and in addition, we provided links to other virtual activities uh, from other organizations, um, nature centers throughout the country too. But focusing more on um, our distance learning collection, uh, it was, it was a really cool project because we got to explore um, and create educational programs that um, interested us. Uh, our biggest uh, distance learning collection activity um, that we did was the Search for Sasquatch, which was a documentary style uh, YouTube series, uh, kind of a playoff on like uh, those Bigfoot shows once again, we're looking for this elusive sand squatch. Um, and 
Anthony, our chief naturalist, goes on the hunt for them. So he makes these uh, episodes and he was able to incorporate a lot of different lessons um, like uh, how to identify uh, different scat, what's the scat, like what are tracks, how do you identify what animals belong to what tracks. Um, he was able to have naturalists from the past make some cameos and share their knowledge. Um, and as it got more attention, there was requests to incorporate more lesson plans. So not only did we make videos, but we were able to make worksheets um, that went along with the videos to you know, further review those learning um, outcomes that teachers once again desired to have. So it came a point even after uh, making the series, uh, teachers are still using this program um, and, and these uh, videos to teach lessons. So we provide uh, PDFs of the worksheets that they can download and access. Um, and you know, it, it gained a lot of popularity. We even have our own merch line, uh, our search for Sasquatch t-shirts, which are very comfortable. And uh, <laughs> that's awesome. Cool. So you know, uh, it was such an awesome experience um, and you know a great a great program. Um, that's provided free to the public. So I love how creative you are with that. Like it just, it, I can only imagine the amount of brainstorming that went on oh. you guys sitting around a table, like, what can we do? Like that just it, true, true brain power to create something like this. Yeah. Uh, such a fun process. Um, had a lot of coffee, coffee talks, a couple pizza parties. Um, and a lot of, uh, we went through a lot of expo markers, try erase markers, just going through that whole process. But it was it was so fun, um, and it was fun to kind of tap into some other uh, skills and you know thinking and um, yeah areas that we wouldn't necessarily focus on in a regular season. Right, because like you know, as environmental educators or programs or any of you guys that are listening, maybe doing special events, there's a level of creativity that you have to have. I think it can oftentimes be your superpower in parks and recreation. Um, but I also think that these virtual programs probably tested you in that same way or in a, a slightly different way, I should say. Um, and it required you to learn a new set of tools as well. So can you just kind of let us know what tools you had to learn in order for something like this to come to life. Yeah, definitely. So, I mean, as you said, uh, we definitely shifted away from a lot of the usual job expectations and functions um, and tasks and responsibilities um, as we uh, worked on these virtual programs. So definitely a, a bigger learning curve. Uh, some of the tools, as I mentioned, um, utilizing Google Sites and understanding how to format the text and how to arrange pictures, you know, it, it took a while to learn about that. Um, YouTube and actually recording videos and making sure the audio would, you know, was clear uh, was another, another thing. Um, and being able to, edit videos. Um, when I first started making videos for my activity series, it would take me two, two and a half hours to edit a one and a half minute video. Um, so learning how to splice different audio clips together, how to add transitions and effects, um, it, it all took a lot of time. And it also took a lot of trial and error. Uh, but it was a learning process that we all worked together on, we helped each other out uh, and eventually kind of worked our way up to being more competent in that. Um, using uh, book widgets was a lot of fun and playing games, a, a lot of experimenting. Um, and what was so awesome about working um, with the naturalist um, or the education team at that time was we always continued to, you know, push each other to, to make these programs as great as possible. I'm personally someone that can sometimes just settle and be happy with what I had, but you know, I'd get a lot of great feedback or um, suggestions on how to, you know, make this video 
more entertaining or hey instead of you know putting this picture here how about you you add a video over here and whatnot uh so it was it was great to have um a great team to work together to help each other and help enhance and make our programs um our virtual programs even better yeah i think the continuous improvement piece is so important um there's a lot of technology to learn you're not going to get it right the first time or yeah. even the tenth time um i keep learning that but um you know speaking of not getting things right the first time one of the things we want to talk about on this series is around how to make our programs and parks more accessible and inclusive and let's talk about that from a virtual perspective you know what were some things that you did and what were some things that you kind of learned along the way that maybe surprised you yeah that's that's definitely a great question um starting at this job and, and being in person you know we're proud to say that we as an organization try to be as inclusive um and as accessible as possible um and there's a lot of ways we did that in person um but now shifting to virtual you know there's a there's a whole other set of of um bumps and challenges in being inclusive and accessible and i also believe that we we did everything we could and we're still doing everything we can to continue uh being inclusive and accessible and some of the ways in which we did that um, initially, uh, something simple as, as simple as adding captions to our YouTube videos and making sure that, you know, YouTube can auto-generate the captions, but they're not always correct. So making sure that we're taking the time to go through the whole script um, in our videos and um, editing and um, structuring the sentences so it matches what we're saying. Um, there, there was a lot of, uh, there's a lot of time involved with making sure that the language and the text that we used in our virtual activities were at an appropriate grade level. Um, it's very easy when you're in person to um, incorporate a lot of terminology that the students don't understand. But when you're in person, you can kind of break that down and, and, and explain and elaborate more. But if a student is doing one of our virtual programs self-guided, uh, it can be a little difficult if they're reading at a higher grade level reading. So, you know, that was also considered as we were making these programs. And we figured out for a program that was meant for fourth and sixth graders that the language and the sentence structure was at an 11th, at an 11th grade reading level. Uh, so we actually had to take all the text and we ran it through um, these scanners to assess what uh, level of reading uh, we were at. And we'd have to always, you know, uh, get, get even really nitpicky and, and simplify the words and structure it until we got to a fourth grade level when we would scan it online. Um, I just want to pause you. I think that's so interesting. I think that we try to overcomplicate things so often. We think we're being yes. smart or like, you know, it's adding more when in reality, like being simple and just being really clear and concise makes yes. a world difference. So I think that's a seems like a small thing, but I'm sure it went a really long way. Yes. Um, and to this day, I still have to constantly remind myself sometimes speak simple, easier to understand. Um, another thing that we also did with our text is we added, uh, audio recordings and we would, everything, any text that was on our site, we would actually, um, provide an audio recording. And that was specifically for creature feature. And that was to help those that, those students that may not be the best readers or don't enjoy reading as much so they can follow along on the text. It also, you know, was used for the intention to um, assist those with visual impairments. Um, and, you know, that was a little tedious, but uh, definitely worth it at the end. And, you know, to this day, these are just a few, few examples of how we try to make it accessible. Um, I mean, the last one I can think of, too, is being mindful that, you know, students are limited to what technology they have. So they might be doing these programs on their smartphone. So we would also 
open these these links and sites on our smartphones and see if they were doable, um, if you're able to read it well. Um, so, I mean, and the list just keeps popping in my head. Also, font size, too, in the text, making sure that the font is big enough uh, for students to read. So uh, we definitely kept that in mind as we continued making these virtual resources. And it's amazing uh, to work for an organization that really values that. And you know our, our leadership, our administrative staff, our governance, our board, um, all come from very diverse backgrounds. And you know they don't only celebrate how um, we have made our virtual resources um, inclusive and accessible, but they they hold us accountable and keep challenging us on how we can continue um, working and developing those those programs to uh, make them even more accessible and more inclusive. That's amazing. I think, um, again, that continuous improvement to realize what you did was amazing and how do we continue to make that more accessible? Um, I think it's interesting to think about how virtual programs, they open the door for, you know, so many more students or adults or, you know, whatever program participants you have to experience something if they have mobility issues. Yeah. They're able to to experience that in a way that they maybe haven't been able to before. Um, can you, do you have any, okay, hold on, okay. I was gonna see if maybe you would wanna jump into um, one of your students who was at the beach who couldn't go. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay. Go ahead. Yeah, so, um, I mean, even last week, we had a program where, um, an in-person program where we had a student using a wheelchair and the student was able to still continue um, joining us on our hikes on certain parts of the ecosystems and trails, um, but was not able to join us in visiting certain areas like the beach. But uh, that's kind of when our, our virtual programs come um, in hand and, you know, they are still able to have access to that pre-visit where they can still, in a way, get a sense of what the beach is like and visit it um, through our pre-visit and through Google Earth and can still follow the prompts and still make observations and, and see some of those organisms like the uh, the galls that are, are flying in the background. Uh, so just to, to relate that, that experience with, with mobility, um, and you know, technology and that virtual resource was able to to bridge that gap in some capacity. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and I think whether or not you are creating a park tour using Google Earth or some other tool, or maybe you're just making your website more accessible, thinking about font sizes or color contrast or whatever it may be, I think every little step goes a really long ways. Um, and so I appreciate you sharing your insights and um, your experiences running these virtual programs and now turning them into hybrid programs and trying to make them more inclusive and accessible because I think it's going to continue to show up even if we're not fully in virtual mode anymore. I think we can all breathe a sigh of relief that we're not. Yeah. But at the same time, um, it's exciting to think about kind of using that as a foundation for all the cool things we're going to do moving forward. Yeah, definitely. Um, so, so I'd love to know, this is a question that I love to ask, especially people um, new to the show as we wrap up today, you know, what do you think it means Nate to raise the bar in the field of parks and recreation? That's a very, very great question. Um, to me, I view raising the bar in the field of parks and recreation, um, first of all, as a continual process um, made up of many different things. Um, so first of all, continuing to search for that passion that will lead you to, you know, going above and beyond existing expectations, because um, you can't do that without, without drive and passion and you know, figuring out or knowing your why. Uh, 
it also involves, you know, I, when I, when I think of that question, I think, man, like, what's that, what do I have to do right now to raise that bar? Um, and to understand that it's a process, um, and it doesn't always, it isn't always an instant result. Um, so, you know, practicing patience, um, it involves being able to celebrate the accomplishments of reaching goals, uh, big, small, short-term, long-term, and the successes. And in addition, you know, taking your struggles and um, some of the setbacks or falls that you have um, when you're attempting to do something with grace and uh, learning with it. Uh, I see it. So those are just a few of the many things uh, that I view of raising the bar and, you know, working with your colleagues and your teams, remembering that you're on the same team um, of that same of that same mission and that overall mission is parks and recreation professionals to you know be to improve the quality of life of our communities through the programs and services we provide. Um, so that's that's what it means to me raising the bar. I love that, Nate. Um, I think you're a great example of someone who's continuing to raise the bar and to challenge a lot of the things that, um, you know, maybe have kept us stagnant, at, you know, in our field. We've got a long ways to go, but I think we're making progress with these innovative uh, and inclusive programs that you and your colleagues have created. And I just want to thank you for your time. And thank you for your insights and for sharing them on the podcast and on YouTube today. Thank you so much, Becky. And thank you for having me here being able to have this this talk with you great time it was a great time all right nate well where can people you know connect with you and maybe learn more about the dunes learning center yeah so uh you can find me on linkedin uh, nathaniel bebot and uh you can learn more about our virtual programming you can access our distance learning collection at duneslearningcenter.org um, we also have a, some really cool adult programming. We do uh, workshops and webinars. So we have a couple of really cool webinars coming up as well. And uh, you can find us on social media too, Facebook, Instagram, um, our YouTube channel since the pandemic's been pretty active too. So we do have like a naturalist podcast uh, called Mugs with Buds uh, as a way to connect with uh, our communities that missed us during the pandemic. And those are very entertaining. Um, we have a, an array of different resources available for you to check out. I love it. Thank you so much for sharing. You see, they have a podcast too. They have a YouTube channel. They got it all going on. So you guys go check it out at duneslearningcenter.com. And until next time, thanks so much. And let's talk parks. Bye. Well, you guys, that is it for this episode. If you want to learn more, please connect with Nate on LinkedIn or check out their website. I've dropped links in the show notes here if you'd like to check all of that out. And again, there was a YouTube version of this. So if you'd like prefer to see the virtual programs that they've created, definitely jump onto YouTube, check out the recording, and you can see what that was all about. Thank you so much for tuning in. Um, I'm about to get the newsletter ready to go out tomorrow. Newsletters go out on Friday morning, sometimes afternoon, just depending on the coffee level of the morning. Um, so would love to join you on that list. If you're not already, you can head over to letstalkparks.com Let's Talk and I will get you on that list. Thanks so much. And until next time, Let's Talk Parks. Bye.